From morning till night, we're bombarded with information from news, advertising, activists and big tech, all try to influence us. But how do we protect ourselves from manipulation? My guest today is Laura Dodsworth, who's written a book with Patrick Fagan that may be of some use in this. Welcome. Hello. Right. Um, the first thing we need to get into, I think, is, is the quantity of information that we all are subjected to every single day. So I mentioned sort of morning till night. Could you just sort of outline the scale of media and information that the average person now has to absorb every day? Mm, sure. Well, I mean, the first thing to say is actually there's no accurate, uncontested figure. Mm. I wish there was. Mm. You'd think somebody somewhere is busy beavering away on a PhD or producing some gold dust for an ad agency to say how much information we actually consume, mm. but there isn't. Um, one reasonably recent statistic I came across is that we get the equivalent of 174 newspapers of information a day. I mean, that gives you a sense of the, gives you a sense of the scale. Mm. I think anyone that knows my last book, A State of Fear, will know that I've come to this book, which I consider to be like a companion or a follow-up, mm. from the point of view of how you use this propaganda, mm. propaganda, behavioural science, nudging, and fear mongering. Mm. But really, it's when I considered all of that during during the pandemic and the lockdown and that blitzkrieg, the behavioural science that I thought more widely about how much manipulation there is. I mean, it's, mm. it's everywhere. And I think one way that I got a sense of the scale was actually when the book was done, when mm. it had gone to print. Mm. Your first book, when that was done. No, this book, this Free one, Your yeah. Mind, yeah, yeah, because, yeah. Because when it had gone to print and it's, it's all over, well, at that point, I'm taking on board everything I've learnt. Mm. And do you know what? I became quite hypervigilant. Mm. And it's not just about ads or social media scrolling or governments, it's everything. Mm. And I became very aware of every linguistic convention from mm. somebody who's trying to persuade me mm. or being on the hold to being on hold to my bank and listening to some kind of nudging message in the mm. pre-record hold mm. message. We're constantly trying to persuade each other in mm. everyday life. So mm. there's just normal interaction, you know, I'm I'm trying to persuade you now that there's a lot of persuasion in the world and people should read my book to <laughs> deflect it. You, you are in a political party. You're constantly trying to persuade people. Everybody wants a bit of your brain. Mm. Your brain is a battlefield. Mm. And in a way, that's, that's the first step. To, really, to, to see it. It's the first step. First of all, you've got to say, well, this is my territory. You've got to try and reclaim the territory. To, in a, you know, in a sense, and it sounds dramatic, you have to accept you're at war. You have to accept you're at war with manipulators, whether it's... Uh, the waiter who asks you the false binary choice, still sparkling. Mm. The advertiser, the social media companies that desperately want you to be addicted. It's all been all worked out, doesn't it? I mean, none of the, a lot of these things aren't an accident, are they? Even when you go into a, a fast food joint or whatever, you know, it's all the, the techniques that are used to buy, make you buy things or on social media all the time. It's been very carefully honed, hasn't it, by experts? Oh, always. Mm. I mean, you just said the fast food shop. There was this whole sector that's only found out about through researching the book, which is a lot of sense. You know, mm. this is this is a new thing mm. in marketing. So high-end brands are paying consultants to devise these alluring scents to put you in a frame of mind to buy more. Mm. Everybody knows that when you go into a supermarket, the bakery might be another front door to, right, to give you that that's that smell of bread, but it's much deeper than that. So mm. yes, it's very well thought out from um, almost like an attack on your senses when mm. you walk into a shop to social media platforms being designed to be addictive like a slot machine. Mm. 
um, to the ubiquitous and obvious examples of advertising and government propaganda. So on, a, so on a personal note, you see it everywhere now. I mean, you were probably aware of a lot of this stuff before, but now technically you've looked at the techniques, you've looked at what's happening. You must walk down the street and see it, that's that, that's that, that's that, yeah? I think that it's more unconscious for me now. Right. So if I'm honest, um, one effect of the book to start with was I was a bit hypervigilant. Mm. I think I was a little bit too on my guard. Mm. And it could be that if you read the book, mm. you get to the end and you think, wow, there's, there's so much manipulation out there. Am I, am I going to spot it all? And you, you might in a sense be too anxious about it or watching out for it too much you know you also have to enjoy life you have to well, enjoy aware, you have to enjoy aware. the ride yeah. but but it's a kind of unconscious competence once you've understood um that there are lots of forms of manipulation mm. once you have inoculated yourself by learning some of the techniques mm. once you understand the biases and the shortcuts that are being exploited and once mm. you understand yourself better mm. actually that kind of shield is more, um, that impenetrable shield that keeps the manipulation away isn't conscious, you're not looking at it all well, the time, more, you're just... probably more relaxed. Because you're, relaxed yeah, because you're, you know, you, you can recognise it and I think the, it takes some of the uncertainty away, doesn't it? Because you can see it. Well, why don't we go into some of the techniques, because I, I, I was fascinated by this. My background is in philosophy, not psychology, but there's a lot of psychology and a lot of technique in here. And I thought it'd be good fun to just go through some of the techniques so yeah. people can be aware of them. Um, one of the first ones is foot in the door, which is like attrition, isn't it? So we'll start tiny. We'll start with this little request and then see where that goes. Could you outline how that works? Yeah, I could give you a current and quite contentious example, which mm -hmm. would be you, Les. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, Sadiq Khan is signed up to this uh, C40 Cities program. Now, mm. if you look at the documentation behind this group that he chairs, mm. one of their goals is vastly reduced private car ownership. Mm. I think they only want something like 20% of people to own cars in their ambitious desired target. Yeah. Now, if a policymaker said to you, the citizen, oh, we, we only want 20% of you to own a car, you think, well, hang on, that's, that's terrible. Mm. We're not voting for you again. Mm. So they can't always tell you what the end goal the is. The ultimate game, yeah. So yeah. Here's, here's the war of the war of attrition, the radical mm. incrementalism, the mm. foot in the door. Mm. It starts with congestion charging. Mm. Sort of sounds sensible. Oh, right, mm. okay. So just when it's really busy, you know, we pay a bit more. Then there was Les, mm. then you Les, mm. then you Les expands. Mm. Then it's pay per mile. Mm. And each time there's a reason for it, you know, with, with ULES it's, it's air quality, a, a mm. child died. That's the hook it's on. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. and then there's, there's 20 mile an hour speed limits. Now, don't, don't make any mistake about 20 mile speed limits. Mm. They're not just about safety on the roads. They also to make driving feel inconvenient and annoying. Mm. And that's, and, you know, you can find behavioural science papers that specifically outline speed limits as one of the, one of the ways to get people to turn off driving. So that's one example. It's putting um, a series of steps in front of you. Each one feels small, mm. not so consequential. It mm. feels like a reasonable ask. Mm. So the way to resist that is to consider that first request and say no, mm. stand your ground. Mm. It's, it's the that's what you say, that's the advice in the book, and it's stand your ground, yeah. that's a big thing. Give them yeah. an inch and they take a mile. Mm. It's fascinating, I mean- Or I, they don't let you drive a mile. They don't, well, yeah, I mean, I, 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 can, I can sort of understand, I, I, I'm trained as a town planner originally, and I, I sort of get some of this. You, you, when you go through a, a, a formal education, you start thinking 
at the end of it, if it's worked, you start thinking like a town planner. So actually, pedestrianisation, it's been going on for a long, long time. I'm a little bit more relaxed about some of these things. I think ULEZ in this city is disastrous. I think they're being dishonest about how they're selling it. But there are some good schemes throughout Europe that are, I mean, Barcelona, for instance, where you've got uh, large blocks and you can get rid of traffic on three, you can still... But in the end, if we're not careful with ULEZ, because it's based on a, a falsehood, uh, you, end, you end up with um, ordinary citizens not being able to have the freedom to go and visit their friend or their relative in the next borough. Mm. And it's, it's highly... So I, yeah, I, and so much happens on, on the basis of attrition. You know, sure, you, you, as you say, if you don't stand your ground at the start. I mean, people that are opponents of taxation, and there are quite a few on the libertarian rights that would say taxation was introduced originally to pay for the, you know, income tax, to pay for the Napoleonic Wars. It's just temporary. And yeah. never, never is. It's never, never is. temporary. No. Um, but, you, you know, you, you said dishonest mm. and falsehood. Mm. And, I, and I think that's, that's part of what bothers me mm. personally. Mm. And it's part of the background for this book. Um, when You're being lied to. When you're being lied to. Yeah. I think um, it would be naive to think that policymakers particularly will always tell you the truth about where you're going. But we're in a kind of a, we're in a strange situation at the moment. In a way, democracy's become inverted. Mm. So in theory, the government should be there to enact the will of the people. Mm. But the introduction of behavioral science, these deliberate techniques, um, like foot in the door, mm. subvert that. Um, I, I coined the term, but I don't think I invented it. I think someone else has invented it for me. Psychocracy in mm. my last book, A mm. State of Fear, where mm. the psychologists actually end up being in charge because mm. what they do is subliminally influence you to enact the policymaker's will. Sure. So it's all upside down through well, sneaky methods. And that sneakiness and that dishonesty is unfair. And really, I think that that's what's important, that people should know how to resist it. You yeah. know Maslow's hierarchy of yeah. needs? You have yeah. food and water on the bottom. Mm. I don't think that's right. If you mm. have food and water, but you don't know how to think, you're mm. basically a slave. Mm. I think free thinking belongs yeah. on the bottom. Free thinking and uh, the critical thinking, the ability to um, assess properly it, mm. as independently as you can what you are told and question it is absolutely vital I agree um, but the, you're, you're quite right that they they're everywhere it's everywhere I mean the it's quite clear that Boris Johnson was subject to a lot of this um, these techniques in his own time as Prime Minister during Covid I mean they used those techniques mm. uh, I think they used a sort of social norm technique didn't you all these leaders are doing this you'll have to do it as well. Because it's interesting yeah. if you look at the history of it, and I don't think it's contestable, uh, Johnson's initial instinct was to go for a more sort of Swedish approach, um, which was, I think, a better, a good faith approach, actually. The public yes. would have done a lot voluntarily. And I think that's where his instinct was. Uh, the trouble is that his instinct didn't align with his expert advice. Whereas in Sweden, mm. it did. Uh, but they, they were using those te techniques on him and it didn't last. It's a pity. I think the Swedes did better in the end. Can I pick up on something sure. here? Because I think instinct is a very um, useful thing to remember. Now, there's a whole chapter in the book called Don't Overthink It. Mm. There's a temptation to think you can be so clever that you're invulnerable to manipulation. And actually, sometimes the cleverest people are oh, yeah. the most vulnerable. Totally. And gut instinct is important. And in mm. fact, there was one study that showed that when people relied upon their gut instinct and then rationally considered decision, their ultimate outcome was better. Mm. I think there are lots of examples in life where we're told not to listen to gut instinct, and that's mm. not right. Of course, 
just to correct another thing though if you don't mind he wasn't only listening to his gut instinct when he wanted to follow the swedish approach that was mm. the evidence-based pre-existing pandemic planning and then about how social conformity was used to influence mm. him mm. there was this great example that the head of the nudge unit the head of the behavioral insights team mm. david halpin quoted mm. now you can see why david halpin doesn't do media interviews too often because he drops mm. in these clangers where he mm. thinks he's saying something good but to the rest of us it's like a it's like a mic drop jaw dropping moment he gives the game yeah. away he said that he'd show <coughs> boris johnson a slide deck of world leaders all wearing masks mm. and then the final pitch was him not wearing masks Mm. which was to shame him using social conformity look mm. all these other world leaders are doing the right thing mm. and there you have to question really um, where the balance of power really where really lies it's a not too sophisticated method of persuasion as I said at the beginning we're all trying to persuade mm. each other all the time but we have somebody there who's the head of a nudge unit mm. deliberately trying to manipulate the prime minister yeah. which ultimately influences policy that affects the whole country exactly bearing in mind masks were never evidence-based never evidence-based and that's based. when it matters and, and there was some evidence like the Danish study it was set aside uh, what concerns me is how quickly we'll get onto another one of these effects in a second which I think is related to this is how quickly um, rationality and uh, evidence-based policy can just go out the window if you're in a, a, a state, state of, of fear. Or a state of fear, yes. Or, <laughs> no, but you, I think the, in the book you talk about a blip. You know, mm. So you've got to be very careful if you're in a, a situation which isn't, in inverted commas, yeah. normal and it's extraordinary and, uh, you know, literally the wheel comes off the axle. One of my best, uh, best examples of this at all during uh, COVID was the, the uh, cost, the quality the cost of assessing um, saving uh, quality adjusted life here you know which is quantified in the health service between fifteen thousand pounds and thirty thousand pounds and you know quants had a look at the quality the cost of a quality a covid quality and it turned out to be a million so it was like you know suddenly all rationality that they previously had just literally went out of the window and you had one uh, corner of experts saying no do this but actually general uh, uh, you know, evidence-based medicine just went completely absolutely very dangerous. That's a blip, isn't it? Dangerous. A blip. That's right. So there's a, another chapter in the book. Watch out for the blip. Now, on one hand, this advice is basic and it's known by every recovering alcoholic mm. and drug addict. You mm. halt. Watch out for hunger, mm. anger, anxiety, when loneliness, and yeah. tiredness. Because yeah. when you're experiencing all those physical downbeats you're more likely to, to pick up the bottle again, but you're also mm. more likely to make a bad decision. Mm. You're more likely to sign on the dotted line. You're more likely to share something that's not true on social mm. media. You know, never go on social media for breakfast. Hands up, I do it every morning. Well, about social, <laughs> social media, have you noticed that some people do come a cropper? I've noticed, I think you know, they come a cropper late at night for some reason. Oh and yeah, think, sure. And they, you know, yeah. they probably had a glass of wine. Don't, and don't probably, tweet drunk. Don't tweet, you yeah. know, you wouldn't drive, probably best not to tweet. Um, but that, that blip works on the individual physical level, but it also works at an emotional level. You know, when you go through a crisis in life, why is it that when young people go to university, they're suddenly taken up by radical ideology? Mm. Well, part of it is because they're not with their parents anymore and they're suddenly not really in loco parentis with anyone, mm. the tutor, mm. someone they see once a week. But also it's because it's a big life change. Mm. So you're, mm. you're more vulnerable then to the cults or to the transgender ideology or the critical but race theory or whatever it is. It's conformity, isn't it? There's also social social norms and social conformity. It takes a it takes a very very um, you know based to use the word or confident person, doesn't it, to to go. I mean, psychologists have been doing work on this for, for decades, haven't they? Conformity. You get a, r a room full of people saying, "Hey, we all think that." And that's the way we. Yeah. You know, mm. And then it takes. It takes you've got to be pretty strong. I mean, a lot of progressive theory. You know, people call it woke. I don't like that word, but 
you know, is, is, is basically people, a lot of, you can get a situation where 80% of people in a room don't agree with something. The powerful uh, motivator will say, this is the case, and no, one's, no one puts their hands up. And that's another thing, I think a book like this is very important to encourage people to challenge. It is very important. Um, I mean, there's a lot about free speech in society and very little about free thinking. Mm. It's great we have a free speech union. I'm a huge admirer. Yeah, I am as well. Toby's done. Yeah, I am as well. I am as well. Yeah. And I, I support it from the start. But free speech is meaningless without mm. free thinking. I mm. think the two things are totally mm. symbiotic. One more thing I just wanted to sneak in about the blip. There's the individual level, uh, physically, emotionally, psychology, but there's also the social level. Mm. And this is something that's been known to bad leaders forever mm. you break down to mm. build up it's mm. why it's an enhanced interrogation technique as well mm. so socially we can all experience these blips which mm. is probably why we started off giving some examples about about covid you know mm. the slide deck mm. because the whole of society experienced this huge blip where people are frightened for their lives people and being on wartime footing yeah yeah and so that means then socially you mm. are vulnerable. Mm. And it's interesting, of course, a lot of people tuned into the fact that world leaders all start talking about build back better, mm. because that would be, I'm not saying that there was anything deliberate. I don't want people's conspiracy radars to go off. There may or may not be something deliberate about it, but you, re, you break down to build, rebuild. Mm. You disrupt to reframe. Mm. And so it's when all of society experiences a war, a famine, a pandemic, mm. that the whole of society is vulnerable too. I mean, people, it's, it's funny you mentioned conspiracy theories because people, uh, my, my, this is very broad brush, by the way, Laura, uh, people do conspire, human beings do conspire. Mm. So it would be odd if, if, if conspiracy didn't exist. But my general view on it is that um, it's actually worse than the conspiracy theorists think. I think chaos, uh, haphazard, uh, terrible decisions and incompetence is, more, is actually more common than a coherent conspiracy. But that's, that's, that's just my, my view. Um, so these are interesting. So what, what the book does for people is that you, at least you be aware of some of these things, foot in the door, social norms, anchoring, blip, group, group conformity. So I think we should all be aware of those. Uh, one of the big distinctions that you make, which I think is very important, uh, we should all be aware of, um, is that certain channels of information, where we get information, are more, even if you set aside the information itself, are more dangerous than others. So I think the broad conclusion you come to in the book is that social media is more, we've got to be more vigilant about social media, not just the content, but what it does to us, narrowing, shortening the attention span and so on. And I think you claim in the book that um, actually you'd be better informed if you, were, if, you, if you unplugged from social media, take a detox and, and read a good book or just read a good newspaper. Can you just outline? Sure. I mean, I'm going to struggle to remember all the reasons you shouldn't be on social media because <laughs> yeah, there are so many of them. Yeah. And I say this as a, as a Twitter addict. Yeah. My name's Laura and I'm a Twitter addict. Yeah. Um, there's a short chapter in the book where I took myself to a convent for 24 hours to do a full silent mm. digital detox. Mm. I melted. I really did. Did you? Yeah. What was it? it was just, if you don't mind, yeah. what were the actual effects? What happened? Of me not using Twitter mm, and mm. social media. I think that it created a lot of silence. It mm. created a lot of space for me to feel things that, in fact, the busyness of life, which um, is occupied quite a lot on my phone mm. and communicating with people, mm. that space opened up for other things to come in. Mm. And also it's become a reflex. It's become a habit. One study mm. found that we check our phone up to 80 times a day. Mm. I'll probably be right at that extreme end of it, mm. you know, mm. partly that's because 
I'm in the media and I Serious communicate. So I, I, I'm yeah, on it. Yeah. The funny thing is, I only ever went on it because I wanted to publish books. Well, you're in good I company. I never wanted I, to be on it otherwise. No, I, but I, now I'm on it. No, I'm on it. I, I, I actually, I, when I sort of got back involved in politics, I was involved in the 80s, the SDP, and then briefly the Conservatives, and then got back involved uh, sort of six, seven years ago. And I wasn't on Twitter. And I, funnily enough, I mean, it may sound like a confession, this, but I. I actually didn't have a smartphone until one of our oldest boy went off to live in Australia and then I had to. Didn't need one for my business, which was commercial property. Just didn't need one, very old school. And, and then so I got one. And the, and the idea that a few years later I'd be on Twitter and tweeting and doing social media would be utterly absurd. And I did it because a journalist said he really got to do it. And I, I hope it doesn't show actually, folks. But I, 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 I'm slightly reluctant. I don't think I'm a particularly brilliant tweeter. But I do it, and it's part of my job to do it and to communicate and try and persuade. Mm. But um, it's 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 a, a you know like I, I don't I don't um, I, I try and limit it. What I try and do personally is to try and I have a my way of dealing with the short attention span and the constant checking is that I practice something. Give me your advice. What do you think about this? Every day, particularly in the morning, I practice just old-fashioned reading single you know single activity because that's what they say it's multi i mean you know and there are theories that women are better at this than men maybe they are but single attention things you know just do i'm doing this and i'm not doing that and i do that every day i i sit down with a, a good book and and for an hour plus just read it with a coffee that's a very good practice. I'm trying to do that this year, read for pleasure after reading for research for yeah. years. And it's, it's a good discipline to get back into. Mm. One, of, one of my learnings from the book. Okay, so a number of the things that are wrong with social media in no particular order. Um, first of all, something that came to my attention during COVID was that there are a lot of bad actors on social mm. media. There are bots and there are trolls. And mm. a lot of people think this is nonsense. Oh, there's no such thing as the 77th Brigade. I'm afraid there's an awful lot of evidence and a great deal of academic research into the field of psychological warfare mm. on social media. You know, arguably the Ukraine war is one of the first wars that's been fought on social media as well as in the real yeah. world. There are both Russian and Ukraine um, bot campaigns. Um, so there's that, you know, there's the, the Chinese 50 cent army, which mm. during COVID was trying to exert pressure on particular political leaders in order to change the political course of pandemic management. Mm. So you've got bots, you've got trolls, mm. you never know who's commissioned them, who's running them. Mm. I found in the course of researching this book that some of my work was being used by a bot campaign. Mm. It's absolutely mysterious. Mm. Why is my work being quoted in a campaign that is obviously being run by automated bots? Twitter would give me no answers. They'd just shut them down when I'd find them. So that's one thing. There are bad actors. Mm. Can I just it, go in? Mm. Are you, just because it's a, a tangential thing, but are you happier with the slightly freer uh, environment we've got recently with Musk than previously where people, well, I knew people that just lose their accounts, said the wrong thing? Are you happy with that? Because it I'm seems... not sure it's freer. Right. We'll see. Yeah. It's early days. I like some of the yeah. things he says, mm. um, but we'll see. I mean, mm. they still oh, they still employ algorithms, which is my next point, mm. and we don't know how they work. Algorithms mm. are basically secret online editors. Mm. So it's almost like you have this secret social credit scoring system, and you have mm. no idea how it works. Mm. Since Elon Musk has taken over, I've mm. definitely experienced 
both tweets and my whole account being deprioritized, being suppressed. Well, I was anyway. I mean, funnily enough, we, I mean, I, I, we, a party of the conservative left, uh, most of our opinions are represented by about 55, 60% of the public actually on the data. Uh, pretty reasonable and sensible, but uh, our accounts have been, um, have, have been subject to downward pressure for a long time. Yeah. And we know that. And sometimes people might think, oh, you're just being paranoid, you're just not no, popular any, anymore. But there are, there are some ways to check. So, you know, I could see that um, a tweet would say it had some views, but then on the analytics behind it would have far fewer views. Mm. It doesn't even have the views it, it says it has. Yeah. Um, particularly, actually, if I tweeted about Twitter's algorithms itself, which was ironic. Mm. Um, so algorithms both push content up and push content down, push mm. people up, push people down. Mm. People say that Twitter is a public square, but mm. it's not a public square. It's like a labyrinth with the lights off. Mm. You don't know what the rules are. And so if you find yourself deboosted or deplatformed, mm. it's like you've been muzzled and put in a cell, mm. but you don't even know what, what sin you committed to get there or how to get out. No. So that's another danger of social media. It's power without responsibility. Or accountability or transparency. There's no, no transparency. Yeah. So I think algorithms should be like health warnings on cigarette packets. Mm. And there should be a clear and pedestrian description of how they work. Mm. So you, the consumer, understands what mm. the danger mm. to your social media life is. Mm. And then behind, they should all have the secret source technical script so that people want they can go into it. But, you know, that's not what will happen. Mm. We will end up with Ofcom regulating it, mm. whereas we just could be empowered as individuals. Um, also, all social media platforms mm. are designed to hold as much of your attention as possible, mm. which is to say they're designed to be addictive. Mm. Think about on Twitter, you know, you scroll down, you read lots of tweets and you think, oh, I've been on for 10 minutes. I bet something new's happened. So you put your finger on and you pull down. It's, it's the vanity it's the of, machine effect. It's, it's the vanity of wanting to see the effect of what you've said. I mean, that's the very clever thing about Twitter is you tweet something and say, I wonder how that's gone. What if people like that tweet or don't like it? See, it's almost beyond most human beings' um, yes. uh, capacities not to check. You, you're, you want to check. I mean, that's another thing I, I, I rigorously try and do uh, is, is, is tweet and, and block, you know, have a look, get on, tweet, and then just leave it. And I'm, I'm pretty yeah. good at that. Well, you know, you drop a bomb and then leave the room and then yeah. don't, don't, see what, don't see what damage there was afterwards. Have you, while we're on Twitter, have you, have you ever, do you think you've ever, because I have a theory about this, do you think you've ever convinced anyone about anything on Twitter? Um, I agree with you that generally people don't. Mm. Um, I think that another danger with social media is that it thrives upon emotion, um, specifically argument and conflict um, and fear, anger, debate, mm. and it's not designed to bring people together. It looks like it is, mm. but that's not how the algorithms work. Um, but the engagement is much more negative and, and they each have their own flavor for that. So Instagram is about sharing your picture of the world, but really in one sense, you could say it's about showing off and mm. it's about insecurity. It yeah. thrives upon no, insecurity. It's, 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 I, don't, I just don't get that. I, I think it's, yeah, to, to have to, look how wonderful this is, I'm doing this and you're not. I, I can't, I really can't stand that. And, but on, and I, Twitter, you think it's a great democratic medium where everyone reaches out to each other, but it seems to fuel division. And Facebook is about sharing, but... Um, Facebook's a much more mainstream. I'm not on Facebook, but, it, but it's, it's, it's much more mainstream. I think political, Twitter is very, very political. I mean, the reason I don't, I, 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 I haven't given up. I never really thought you could persuade anyone. I never, I almost never, uh, I almost never react to, to conversations and tweets, or even when people have a go at us, you know, I don't. 
well, do you think I'm going to persuade you? I'm going to say, oh, and actually it's not like this, it's like this. Oh, thanks very much for that, it's really kind, thank you. I, you know, you persuaded me, it ne almost never happens, but what it's for a political party like us, what it is really good for, and it has been fantastic for this, is to convene people that are like-minded yeah. to us. And that's one of its downsides, but for us, if you're doing what we're doing, you know, if you want, if you want the utilities back in public ownership and you want railways ditto and you want to build some houses and you agree with it, then we talk about that. Yeah, I actually agree with the SDP about that. Thank you. I'm on board. So it's been very good for that. But I, I actually urge, because I see, I mean, it's funny this actually, Laura, because it's regional. Our Southeast members are a bit more reserved, but the Yorkshire lot, you know, particularly Leeds, they'll, they'll, they're like a fight on Twitter. And they fight, and I, I say, well, yes, yeah, good, but you're not, you're not going to get anyone saying, actually, I think you're right about that. Yeah, really persuaded me. You just don't. It's just, if they like a fight, fine, do it. But I don't think it's about that. I think it's, it's about bringing a community together, which it is. Mm, absolutely, and the social media companies know that as well. In a related but slightly different example, when uh, in the recent Facebook files, akin to the Twitter files, it came out that um, the US administration had wanted Facebook to censor anything that was negative about the COVID vaccine. Mm. Um, even if they were truthful stories about vaccine damage, um, Facebook said, well, that will increase vaccine hesitancy mm. because if you shut down debate and information, it makes people more cautious. Mm. But the US government wanted them to do it anyway. Mm. So, so they know that they contribute to more division and polarization when they mm. use these tactics. They're aware mm. of it. And of course, let's not forget that there was um, leaked, leaked slides uh, a couple of years ago from parent company Meta about how Facebook and Instagram were increasing body image anxiety and depression among young girls. So they, they know about various harmful effects. Um, the data's they, in they on that. They plow on anyway. Yeah, the data's in on that. I mean, in a way, I'm, 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 glad, I'm glad we didn't have this uh, when we were growing up. We, we were engaged with, in inverted commas, the real world. I think it's much, much more challenging now. But you realise all these dangers will become worse. And that's the other reason why Free Your Mind is needed now. I mean, I think it's always been needed mm. because it is oh yeah it's yeah. incredible that there are thousands of books mm. about how to advertise nudge use behavioral science mm. use propaganda use mm. pr thousands look on look on amazon mm. and i mean it seems like such a simple idea i think this is part of what i do in fact people say oh, it seems like such a simple idea laura which can feel a little bit belittling but actually I think one thing I'm good at is coming up with the simple idea that somebody should have should have done before. You know, you need a defence against these no, dark th arts persuasion, it's... but it's also particularly timely now mm. because mm. yes, the social media, which is pe which has penetrated most of the world's lives, you know, to 80, what is it, eighty four percent, eighty three percent of the world have a smartphone, so and we're checking our phones up to eighty times a day. And mm. I, you know, I'm I'm on social media hours. Lots mm. of people I know for kids, mm. it's TikTok, which mm. is mm. I think particularly pernicious. Um, but you know, when we're all wearing the Apple Vision goggles, mm. uh, and, in, and in the metaverse, well, you you might find. Oh, they'll have ways in the of trying to incentivize. To partake in life that you need to. Yeah, of course, no, I think you could and say. And when that. they have biometric ID in them, and when they're using neurometrics, and to an extent, you yeah. know, they can read your brain and help change your mind at source. Yeah. All of this becomes even more pertinent and even yeah. more perilous. No, it's very, I mean, it's absolutely scary. I mean, it's why, or it's why you need to keep cash. I mean, I, I hope we can keep cash, but you can't, you're not a free individual. You're not a free individual in a, in a democracy. You can't go 
and buy things and do what you like without being constantly monitored. But this has been, you know, the systems have been in place a long time and it is getting worse. I, I, no, I, I, we can't, you can't even say words like you're not a free individual. You have to take that back. You know, you can't, you can't say that, William, because as soon as you say it, you almost concede to the notion of it. Now, when we first locked down, for me, it, was, it shocked me to my core that mm. freedoms that I'd thought were real and taken mm. for granted were not real. They were an illusion. Fragile. Beyond fragile. They just mm. simply didn't exist. Mm. They were swept out from under our feet mm. overnight mm. for simply not good enough reasons. You know, mm. they just weren't evidence-based, good enough reasons. Mm. And I trust in the wisdom of people, the wisdom of crowds. Mm. Google mobility data showed people changed their own habits before the government intervened. They didn't need to. That they was didn't a, need the to. The saddest thing was that there was so much goodwill. But they tried to get into your brain mm. to enforce these mm. rules. Mm. They used propaganda, behavioral science, nudging. They frightened people out of their wits to make mm. them follow the rules. And that's when I realized there's one place, there's one domain that really is yours and you need to be sovereign of it and it's your mind. Mm. And so actually the resistance always starts to mm. bad states or mm. to a way of life you don't like mm. or you know the bad salesman, it starts with your mind. Mm. You have to decide to be sovereign of your own mind. Well, the book, the, the, the book I mean, you, you, you're, you're brilliant in the book, both of you are outlining and making us vigilant about the bad things. I mean, the manipulation, Manipulation sounds bad anyway, but one of the one of the um, questions I wanted to ask you. I mean, you, how do you differentiate between what I what I call legitimate and illegitimate hmm. influence? And I think Rory Sutherland on the back cover calls it uh, useful and harmful persuasion because yeah. there, there is useful persuasion, and surely you could use the same techniques. Uh, for useful ends. Do you agree with that? Well, why don't you give me an example of useful persuasion and I'll give you an example of useful persuasion. I'm so, I, I have so much reactance to the idea of any sort of persuasion. Yeah, I mean, well, I it's suppose, my thing. I'm almost pathological about it. Yeah, so you go first. You give me an example of useful persuasion. Well, let's say the government, let's say the government has a scheme uh, for, I don't know, it can be, it could be road safety, something like that, or, or any, any public health scheme. When I'm old enough to remember the Green Cross Code and those things, those public information films, you know, children should stop there and look and listen. Now, isn't that a, a perfectly useful uh, public information film? Mm. Isn't, it, isn't it perfectly legitimate for a government to do that? I think there are many cases where it's really hard to argue with persuasion mm. um, and even nudging. Mm. And I have almost no issue with brand A trying to take market share from brand B because mm. we expect it. That's, that's warfare. I mean, they're, they're just trying to Commercial get market warfare. share. Commercial yeah, exactly. warfare. And they don't have yeah. disinformation units or mm. truth verifiers or mm. shadowy censorship units. I don't really mind what goes on mm. in the commercial world. I do think that it becomes very difficult when mm. we consider government using covert methods such mm. as nudging, mm. which is supposed to be something you're barely aware of, the choice you're making. And they say, oh, it's a choice. But don't, do you think all, I mean, any, any advertising communication now involves this stuff, doesn't it, virtually? I mean, it's part of their pick and shovel, isn't it? But I didn't vote for it. Mm. And I think it's changed our relationship with the government. As I said before, I think it's inverted how we, how we understand democracy. Unfortunately, most people don't realise it yet. Mm. 
if political parties had to put how much was spent mm. on communications mm. and behavioural science and nudging mm. on their manifesto, mm. if they had to end up what they if they had to add up what they spend on salaries, because mm. they employ a lot of people, yeah. uh, central government, local government, the agencies, mm. I mean the government agencies mm. like DEFRA or the UK mm. HSA, mm. and then ad agencies and media mm. buying, people mm. would fall off their chairs. I'd love well, to would, see, uh, I'd love to see that number. And then and then if they show us what kind of value for money we get. Well, first of all, did they enact the things that we thought we were voting for? No. So, you know, um, I, I think it's hard to take issue with, say, suicide prevention or um, cutting down smoking. Mm. But then, then you get on something like obesity. Mm. Well, you know, this sounds great, reducing obesity. Do you trust the government to know how to get obesity down? I'm afraid well, I, don't, never, I don't, I don't anymore. But you it. know, even, yeah. even with smoking, somebody mm. may understand it's bad for them, but they mm. still want to smoke. Mm. And when, when do you say no to mm. nudge? Because there's this idea that the nudges let you say no, that they mm. present you with some sneaky, sneaky subliminal choice and you can mm. still go in your own way. Mm. Like putting calories on a menu. Mm. Oh, I won't have that chocolate brownie that's well, 800 so, so calories. Inaccurate, Laura, though. It doesn't work. I've never tested. It's yeah. so much of this is not reproducible mm. and it's, mm. uh, I'm afraid a lot of it I think is bunkum. But anyway, they, they, they say they're giving you a choice and you can mm. say no, but can you really say no? Mm. Here's, here's the classic example in the COVID pandemic. Mm. They gave you all these little nudges to get vaccinated and then when it came to it, there's vaccine mandates and mm. vaccine passports. Mm. Mm. And there was Austria saying that every adult would have to be vaccinated. You oh, know, damn. how far was it going to go? Yeah. Does no really mean no? And mm. I think for a lot of these people who are basically do-gooders mm. and busybodies and have mm. quite sophisticated psychology techniques at their fingertips, mm. they don't really want you to say no and they the, won't let you get away with it. I, well, it's, it's interesting. I, I want to sort of finish by what I think is a, is a paradox, actually, which is, I, and I don't know if I'll persuade you about this, but I think it is a paradox, um, which is that despite... Um, governments, political parties, influential people uh, and agencies having all these resources and having all these um, paid experts. Um, there have been many, many examples recently, just in the last 10 years, of where they've shown themselves to be completely incompetent at actually achieving their aim. And I would, I would, I would as a tangential thing, this, but I think the, the collapse in media, uh, the public's trust of media shows that it's not effective a lot of it a lot of people see through it and think i don't buy this i don't really not buying that a couple of examples that i'll give you say um you know hillary clinton uh in the in the uh, presidential campaign against trump trump mentioned this deplorable thing you know mm. basically disparaged a whole section of people in post-industrial towns in america yeah that is if you're trying to get people to vote for you, that is utter idiocy. Brexit, exactly mm. the same. Gammons. Gammons. But they, yeah. but they, but it, it, the, this is curious, Laura, because these are, these are, these are well-educated people, highly intelligent people. Uh, and during the Brexit campaign, they, they thought it was wise to disparage a whole section of the public uh, by calling them racist, uh, xenophobes, uh, small-minded, you know, uh, parochial. And it didn't occur to them that the, that the uh, compliment would be repaid in the ballot box. They just didn't see it. Mm -hmm. And so that's the fascinating thing. I mean, I, I, I'm, I, there's so much um, interesting information in the book about 
manipulation and we've got to be very careful, but I, it's a paradox that mm. often some of the people right at the top of this game, I don't think, know what they're doing at all. Because yeah. Well, if I can speak, work that out? Yeah, well, um, let me see if it speaks to this idea of the elites, not understanding, let's call them the elites, mm. um, not understanding ordinary people. And then where I think really the hope, mm. the hope is, because mm. I, you know, just to come back to the book again, as you're kind enough to give me an interview about the book, this is not a, this is the state we're in, isn't the world awful book. There are mm. a lot of books like that at the moment, and you read mm. them and think, gosh, this is brilliant, but now I'm in a state of despair. What do we do? It's a very positive book. Patrick, Patrick yeah. my, my very talented behavioral scientist, come from the dark side, um, co author, mm. and I wanted to write a book which is all about giving people agency. We mm. want you to be sovereign of your mind. We think mm. you can be, we think you should be. Mm. It's pretty easy. Mm. Just learn some techniques. Mm. Okay, so about the elites, yes. This happens over and over again. Um, you know, you, you'll have come across the term luxury beliefs before yeah, and yeah. cultural Rob mediation yeah. hypothesis. Very so good. the thing is, um, you know, there are certain, certain sort of beliefs, if you hold them, you do better. Mm. Now I noticed this, that when the lockdown started, my milieu changed. Because I said things that weren't popular mm. among those people. Were you said, sanctioned? Oh, I'm Were not you... sure. Yes. Yeah. Yes, properly sanctioned. Yeah. You know, followers falling away, you know, mm. certain commissioning editors that used to follow me or, you know, some snotty messages I received mm. and, and work doors being shut. But of mm. course, other doors being opened, I'd always encouraged people to speak up and speak their truth. You know, there's mm. a whole chapter in the book about mm. this, be the first to speak up. But mm. there can be negative repercussions. So if you... It is what makes what makes it difficult to speak up is there's this milieu and they gatekeep with mm. these luxury beliefs. Mm. You know, I, I honestly think it's an incredibly privileged position to be in to say you can have uncontrolled mass immigration. Yeah, it's crazy. Because yeah. they're not thinking about the working classes yeah. no, no, who need all. salaries to be held up. Mm. Because what that does is create more competition, salaries come down, really benefits those people mm. who think immigration is great because mm. they get cheaper products, services, cleaners, waiting staff, the rest of it. What they're doing what they're doing there is not actually I mean it is a luxury belief because the cost is paid by someone else but what you get from it is you you appropriate your status you're in saying this you, you establish that you're a nice open mm. good person uh, it's actually the, the evidence is it's, it's, it's not good to the country at all right so I gave a kind of an easy example there that speak that that plays into the idea of gammons you know mm. people were gammons if they mm. Look at the last night of the proms, another example of mm. this, you know, that's an incredibly polarizing thing that mm. people were waving EU flags during mm. Royal Britannia yes. and they go, oh, it's only a flag. I mm. mean, in a sense, they've um, played into exactly the kind of flag shagging that yes. they've accused no, it's... Brexiters of. Yeah, I mean, I, I um, and it's not designed to bring anyone over. Yeah. It's not designed to reach your hand across the aisle. No, 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 it's it's designed to piss people off, yeah. to provoke yeah. and, and to polarise. And, yeah. it's, and it's a shame because that is in fact what it does. Well, it undermines their own cause. I mean, and it's also, but it's slightly, it's, it's a slightly odd thing to turn up to the House of Lords to wave a flag of a trade block. Anyway, whatever you want to do. So, so um, yes, immigration is a is, is a bit of a facile example, but there are others. You know, you 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 will really get on in mm. this world if you live, um, you know, in North London, say, if you believe people can change sex, mm. um, and that veganism is actually good for the planet, and no one mm. should have cars anymore. And you you mm. hold all these kind of luxury beliefs. Mm. It's a sort of a de facto coda. You know, if you mm. live by that, mm. you do well. Mm. And then what they don't realise is, because what they're seeing reflected back at them through the media and through their own social circles, is there's a whole lot of people 
that don't agree with that mm. at all. Mm. And so that's how you can get Hillary Clinton talking about deplorables well, they, and, and people in the British media talking about gammons because they're totally out of touch with all these other bubbles that exist. Point. That's the point. They are out of touch. The, the, there was a famous economist who uh, at Oxford University said, admitted after 2016 he didn't know a single person that voted for Brexit, that's the majority of the public, and he didn't know a single person. We do live in these little communities, I guess, we, we are, but my, as I say, my, it's, it is a paradox. I just think some of the people right at the top of this game of trying to influence people uh, are staggeringly bad about doing this. I mean, you know, getting, getting Obama to come and lecture the British people about trade deals on Brexit, no, it's a terrible, terrible, terrible idea. Yes. But then to go back to the idea of hope, people mm. do often see through it. I mean, a lot of behavioral science is not reproducible. Mm. Um, so there's, there's that. It may not be the best science in the world, funnily enough. Um, think about Sadiq Khan's recent campaign, mate, the one yeah. with the extended days. Yeah, yeah. I expect he thought this was a real win. Oh yeah, I'm doing something to tackle misogyny. Mm. Of course, he's not doing anything within the Met Police, nothing structural, nothing systemic. What he's doing is responsibilizing um, the causes. He's saying, oh no, it's all, it's all you people, all you people that cause the misogyny, and specifically it's the, you, you naughty young men. You know, if you saw the ad, it's a group, yeah, of, it, yeah. group of young men playing mm. video games, so they're actually, no one touches a woman or says anything mm. to a woman. Mm. It's a bit of banter between lads. I've got two teenage boys. Mm. They do do a bit of banter. They're always going to do a bit of banter. Luckily, Sadiq Khan can't listen to them. Um, and of course, if you'll know, it was the only white guy as well. Of course, you know, it's a pantomime. No, it's a pantomime. It was a pantomime. It's a pantomime, young gammon. Uh, you know, and people, again, people think, people don't realise how this is totally counterproductive. It really doesn't work. That, that ridiculous campaign will not achieve any ends at all. It'll just antagonise people. And that's my point. Yeah. It's a paradox and I'll so, leave you with. So he, he will have thought this was a real win. It's not. Um, and it's not a win because it didn't work. Now, it should mm. have done because it was predicated on sound behavioral science theory, social conformity. Dog training. So, yeah. <laughs> well, literally, it was like Pavlov's yeah. dogs. Yeah. Uh, the extended A is like yeah. the sit. So you've got the long vowel, the short consonant. So that's supposed to get your attention because mm. it's novel, it's salient. That, then it used social conformity. This is how group dynamic works. You don't want to be the shamed boy that they all go off. This is, you know, this is how you join them and be a good, a good citizen. Yeah. But of course it didn't work. So there's a few people that might have thought it was very um, laudable and mm. they might have thought it was effective, but I think most people will think it's a terrible waste of public money. Mm. So a lot of these people in ad agencies and payable scientists, they're probably, you know, I know you said you don't like the word, but a bit woke. Yeah, and, no, they're all, they're all woke, yeah. And yeah. maybe they don't know that many teenage boys that sit around playing video games. It was a bit like one of the ad campaigns on social media during COVID that was targeted at teenagers. It talked about getting the shot, mm. as though you could equate a shot of alcohol yeah. with a vaccine shot. Oh, yeah, yeah, gonna... I thought, I don't think you know many teenage no, boys just... that drink shots, no. do you? They're not, they're not going to get confused between the two things. You're not making it cool. No, it's, it's, it's a strange one. But I see this all over the place. And I, I, I see uh, supposedly highly intelligent influencers not being very good at influencing. I, it, the comical one, I'll leave you with this now, the, the, the BBC Verify uh, thing. I mean, it's, it's fascinating because they, they used to call it something else, but you can't verify the world. I mean, philosophically, it's just a philosophical error. But um, then it turns out the person in charge of this isn't terribly um, truthful on her CV. So the whole thing is just undermined. No one has no credibility at all. And the people that are running 
uh, these things um, are just not very good at even that. So. Well, I'd have a different view on that, actually. Mm. I mean, yeah. I think you're right. No one is fact-checking the fact-checkers. Mm. Be probably the most contentious advice in the book. I'm sort of surprised no one's picked up on it yet. So mm. here you go. Laura, what's the question somebody should have asked you, you know, mm. in, about the book and no one's asked you? Which is, are you encouraging people to be conspiracy theorists? No, we're not. But we would, we would both say that you shouldn't be afraid of the term because mm. the term is used deliberately. It's a neologism. It's, it's designed it's to, to close be denigratory. Down. Yeah. It's to close yeah. you down. Yeah. But I would say that somebody who lied on their CV mm. might be exactly who they're looking for. Yes, we okay? might well do. Might somebody be who's very, ideal I mean, I wouldn't lie on my CV to, in yeah. a million years for any sort of job. But, but, it, just but is, it shows you're ambitious. It shows yeah. you're flexible with the truth in pursuit mm. of a goal. But and that might be exactly who they want to be, but it, but it's, it's totally ruined any credibility that this thing has. I mean, any intelligent person realises that the BBC, a lot of other large organisations, media organisations, filter what they say. It's not so much that they're, what they're saying is untrue, but the, mil the coverage bias is so extensive that what they're saying is, is not very useful. They're, they're not covering some very, very important things. But uh, so I, 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 think I think we should be very vigilant. I think you've written a brilliant book with Patrick, and I think... So the defense mechanisms are awareness, resistance, deflection, but above all, skepticism and doubt. So that's what people should get out of this book. And I would urge uh, people to have a look at it um, and find out for themselves. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me. Pleasure.